we are going to be over in 1 Samuel 31 all the way over to 2 Samuel. Don't get scared. We're going from the end of 1 Samuel into the beginning of 2 Samuel. But how many, how many people have ever had a moment in your life where someone said to you, a boss, a parent, someone said these words to you and it rocked your world. They said to you, what have you done? Ever had that? You're over at work, you did something, something went wrong, and then the boss stands up, what have you done? Or of course when you were a kid, you know, we had four kids in, uh, as we were growing up, but I don't think any of them heard it as much as me. <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> and then, you know, whenever it's done like that, it's never that you have done anything good. I mean, has anybody ever heard, what have you done, and it was something good? It's never anything good. It's always something bad. You always got yourself in trouble. And whenever you are doing one of those things that you know you could get the call what have you done? You know you never intended anyone to find out. Isn't that the case? When you set out to do it, you didn't expect anyone would ever find out what it is that you have done. So you would never hear the words, what have you done? You'd never hear that because no one would know except for the people that you went out there and did. And of course, they won't tell. <laughs> so they'll, they'll get themselves in trouble as well. But in 2 Timothy, we put this on your bulletin, 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21, this is the full passage. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for what? Honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. You can be either a vessel of honor, you can be a vessel of dishonor. It is your choice. You can be either one. You can be a vessel that is in this, in the same house. You can be a vessel of honor. And we've talked about that before. You have vessels in your house that are vessels of honor. These are vessels that do not get used for, for just the mundane things. These are special vessels, special plates, special cups. How many of you have a special mug? Anybody have a special mug? That's your mug. Nobody else uses that mug. That's your mug. And they better not use it. I tried that for a little while. I had a special mug, you know, for tea. And I never wanted it to be, be, uh, uh, um, violated <laughs> with coffee. And so I would see my wife had, had pulled it out and she had used it for coffee. I'm done with that one. It is over. I have to go find myself a new mug. I don't care how many times you wash it, whatever it is you do, coffee was in it. And I'm over, it's over. <laughs> and so, I just drink less and less tea, so I don't even care anymore. But um, uh, my brother-in-law is even more picky than I am. That we were over at their house, and they have you ever see those those Keurig Keurig machines? How you say it? The the thing with little cups in there. Keurig. Keurig. Uh, he's got two of them. One for his wife, and this is for the coffee, and one for him. This is for the tea. The coffee does not go into the tea one. I saw that earlier. He says, "Oh, you are a man after my own heart." I love this setup. Right here. He says, oh yeah, because that coffee, you never get rid of it. That coffee is always coming into the tea. And you may not taste the tea in the coffee, but I'll tell you what, we taste the coffee in the tea. You know, they pull out that wrong mug. What have you done? You have ruined my mug for life. 
We want to be a vessel for honor. We want to be one of those ones that is held in high esteem. doesn't get pulled out for, for just anything. But there are things that we do with little or no thought at times that sometimes make God cringe. If we learn the walk of honor and we get a glimpse of God's view to the actions that people often do very candidly, very half-heartedly, not even thinking. If I can get God's view, I can see some of the things that I have done in my life and all of a sudden I say, oh, dear God, I did not realize that's what I was doing. I had no idea. The further you get up in the walk of honor, the more that you will be able to see the things that make God cringe. The things that God said, oh, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Why are you getting involved with that? These are the things. So we're going to be over here in, in uh, 1 Samuel 31 first. Last week we were looking at greater levels of honor. Can, they cannot be learned. The greater levels of honor, they cannot be learned until they are seen. You've got to see them. So you've got to get in that next level of honor. You've got to walk in that level. And then pretty soon you can begin to see the next levels above you. Then you can learn about it, and then you can walk in that one. And then as you're walking in that one, you begin to see the one that's above that. You learn about it, and then you can walk in that one. And that's how God wants us to progress from level to level to level. More and more and more honor. That's where we need to go to. The higher you go in honor, the greater the responsibilities, the greater the expectations, also the greater the adversaries. And even the judgments. And if you wonder, well, why in the world should I move on? Because the the peace in your walk will be greater. The rewards in this life and the next life will be greater. The revelations you receive will be greater. And the understanding of God and His ways will be greater. Last week we looked at how David was in a situation and sometimes with people in, in tough situations like he was in with Ziglag. Some people want to look for who do we blame? Other people are looking for the solutions. People of honor look for solutions. They don't look for blame. People of dishonor look for blame. Who can we blame? Who can we pin this on? David had been having so many wins. He had win after win after win. Every day they would go out and fight the battle. They would win. They would come back victorious. Win after win after win. It seemed like he may have gotten a little bit arrogant. And as we told you before, you will not know, you will not see the arrogance in your own life, but other people can see it. Isn't it true that you can see arrogance in other people? But it's very hard to see it in our own life. Make sure you have people that can point it out to you and tell you, hey, you're getting a little bit too arrogant. David may have gotten a little bit that way and we saw some of the things in the story that showed that so does that, but he made the correction. And we went over what those corrections were. That was last week. First Samuel 31. Now the Philistines fought against Israel and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, Mekishua, Saul's sons. And the battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all the, his men died together 
that same day. If you go over to Chronicles, it says his family. All the, all the men of, or the, the people in his family. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. Now, there are three sons of, of Saul. How many did not know until maybe today that Saul had more than Jonathan as a son. Anybody not know that he had more than Jonathan as a son? Eh, maybe a few people. All right. We don't hear much about him, do we? Now, David is buddies with who? He's buddies with Jonathan. He's, we don't hear him being buddies with these other guys. That tells us some things. And also for the fact that we don't ever see them mentioned in the Word of God, you're going to see that Jonathan is head and shoulders above his brothers. In fact, David knew the brothers and was drawn to Jonathan, not the brothers. You never hear David and and, the, and uh, Abinadab. There are four Abinadabs in the Word of God. This is one of them. But all we hear about is that, well, he was a son. He was in the battle, but apparently he and his brother never did anything significant. More than likely, they followed after the pattern of Saul. Jonathan didn't. Remember the difference between Jonathan and Saul? They were very, very different people. Well, his other two sons are probably much more like Saul and that's why David wasn't drawn to them. But he's very much drawn to, to Jonathan. If, I don't know, have you ever had a friend who had brothers? Or sisters? We'll say that too. If you had a friend who had sisters, weren't, wasn't there a camaraderie with the sisters or the brothers when you went over there? Wasn't there something going on there? Unless the brothers or the sisters were really rude and obnoxious. And then you kind of just stayed away. Something must have really been wrong with these guys, but they all died on the battlefield in the same day. It said the battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him. Can you think of one other time that the archers killed a king? Remember that there was a prophet who prophesied against King Ahab and Jehoshaphat was there and it was said, you're going to die in this battle. And so he took off his kingly robes and he was out there in the battle and he was trying to avoid being killed. And all the, all the people that came after Jehoshaphat because they saw his king robes on. And he took his robe off and said, hey, it's me. Oh, all right, well, you're not the one we want. And so somebody just pulled back an arrow and killed, killed uh, Ahab. Well, that's the same thing that happens to Saul. Now, this happens first. Ahab will come later. But this happens first. He dies in battle because somebody pulled back an arrow and just shot it up in the air. Most of the times when you are in battle, it's not like it is on the archery field. Anybody ever shot bows and arrows? When you shoot a bow and arrow on a, on a field, you're, you're aiming at the target. And then you, you aim at the target and you, you pull back and you, you shoot it. In battle, it's not always that way. There are times that you will do that, but a lot of times in battle, what the archers do is they take and they shoot them up in the air. So they go way high in the air and they come down upon the army. This way they get more velocity. And they're able to penetrate the armor better than if it was a direct shot. So this is what they would do. They would shoot it up in there and it would come down wherever it would come down. And um, I, don't know, I don't know if this is true or not, but the, it's said of the Greek battle in which the 300 were fighting against the Persians. It was said of them that uh, they had told them, they said, we're going to, something to the effect that we're going to put so many arrows in the air, you're going to, uh, you won't see the sun. And so one of them said, then we will fight in the shade. 
<laughs> I don't know if that was actually said or not, but it was a really cool statement if it wasn't. That's, uh, that was all right. But they were off in the battle. He's, he's not trying to avoid the battle. Saul has his robes on. He's out there fighting. But it, it was hard on him and apparently he had uh, gotten away from the battle, was in the back of the, the line somewhere and this arrow came and got him, wounded him enough he knew he would not recover. He knew he was going to die, but he wanted to die before the Philistines came upon him because if they came upon him, they would do things to him while he was alive that would be worse than just dying now. So he says, I'd rather die now, armor bearer, kill me. And he was afraid to. And so it says that he fell on his, his own sword and he died. And then the armor bearer did the same. So it's a random strike. This is the story. This is what happened. Verse 8, so it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa and they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and set word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among their people. And they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreth and they fastened his body to the wall of Bashan. Now when the, Philist- the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men rose, traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bashan and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted for seven days. This kind of gives credence to the, to the account that we have that no one fought him in battle and killed him as far as Saul was concerned. Because if someone had fought the king in battle with a sword or with a spear and had become victorious there, they would have known right then, I got Saul. They would have known that. But nobody knew it until they came on back and they're going through all the bodies and they say, hey, we've got a king over here. He's got the king armor on. He's got the, uh, uh, he, he maybe had the robe still on. There are some of the things that were taken uh, from his body before they got there. But they found out, hey, we got the king. And they were extremely excited about the king, but they didn't know it on the day of the battle that they had gotten the king. But they did. They hung their bodies on Bashan. And people today, and of course throughout history, we've seen that people have done this. When they have a victory, they take the body and they hang it over the different things. We, uh, we've seen bodies hung over bridges. We've seen bodies uh, mutilated and done all sorts of ways with. You will notice, though, that these people are not people of God. This is not how people of God operate. This is not how people of honor operate. They don't take dead bodies and strew them through the streets and hang them on walls and things of that nature. That's not what God would have us to do. So they um, they came in and did this on Bashan. Now Bashan, this is the city of Manasseh. It's Joshua 17, 11. I'm not going to read that, but if you, if you read that, you'll see that was the city that was given to them. They never They never kicked the Canaanites out of the city. Now, this particular city, Bethshan, is so lush, it is so green, that people in that day, people used to say of this city, if the Garden of Eden was here, this would certainly be the gate. It is just apparently a very beautiful area, but uh, Israel was not able to, to conquer it at that point. Uh, I believe that they did come later on and they they had conquered it, but they had, had lost it, may have lost it before this battle, may have lost it in this battle again. But they uh, they had abandoned a number of the cities. 
after the defeat. If you pull up our map, I pulled up a, a map here for you to uh, to see this so that you can get an idea. This is Mount Gilboa, right there, just in the northern part, a little bit past central. This red line all around here, that is Israel under Saul. You may not be familiar with Israel looking like this. You're used to Israel being more around in here because that was under David. But under Saul, it's smaller. And this is where the Philistines were. They were over in this area. Other nations were over here. The Amalekites, they're over in this area. And uh, Edom is down over here. Moab, Ammon, all these ones are are surrounding Israel. So they're over in this area. But this is where, where uh, Mount Gilboa, this is where the battle took place. This city, Beth Shan, where they put the body, is right there underneath the, I believe that's the Sea of Galilee. Right there underneath of it. Now what this will show you is, this is the kingdom under Saul. When they score this victory, this is the Jordan River. This is the uh, this is the land of Gilead over here. Remember the, the people who settled on the uh, the east side of the river? There were two and a half tribes that settled on the east side. So they're over in, in this area. When they scored this victory, the Philistines, what they effectively have done is they have cut off the northern areas of Israel in this victory and by taking these cities. So some of the cities that they fled, I don't mention which ones that had fled, but some probably some of these ones over here. I don't know if we go all the way up to Dan but over in this area, and even some of the ones that are on the area that is on the east side of the Jordan, they had uh, they abandoned them as well. And so what you have is that the Philistines have secured a big victory here in that they have cut Israel off from the northern area. So either they flee or they, uh, they try and hold their own in this area of battle, but it was a huge battle. It really swung the, ba- the, the war from how it was when Saul and David were fighting they were getting the upper hand. With this one battle, they now have the upper hand over Israel. This is in the northern area. David is in the south. He's fighting over there in the south. They didn't attack the south, they attacked the north. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of a visual there on that. Second Samuel chapter 1. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites and David had stayed two days in Ziglag on the third day. Behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. So this is the man who was at the battle. He 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 uh, won the battle. And I didn't read for you Chronicles. I wanted to read a, a part of this day. I want you to see something that Chronicles adds. Chronicles is almost identical to what Samuel says, except for one little change. Here at the end of 1 Chronicles chapter 10, So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord. That's why he died, it says. Because he did not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. Kind of interesting that he he uh, spelled that out in the word, isn't it? Because God had rejected Israel before. But apparently this hastened the, the death of Saul was him going out there and doing that. Don't mess with all that stuff in the, the mediums and the hand reading and the palm. I'm sure no one here does, but just don't, just don't mess with it. Stay out of it. You don't need to get involved. But he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David and the son of Jesse. So this was God's purpose that, that David would take the kingdom. We know that doesn't happen quite right away. But God had said that was his purpose. 
So what happens is David is sent home. He goes down to Ziglag, finds it burned. They have the, all the time where they're all wore out. They decide, that, they say, God, should we pursue? They pursue. They pursue after the who? Who did they pursue? Amalekites. They pursued after the Amalekites. If you don't know who the Amalekites are, Amalekites are descendants of Esau. One of the sons that he had with one of the wives that he had was Amalek. And they gave birth to the, to the um, Amalekites. It's just, it's not all Edom. That's not the only descendant of, of him. They also had the Amalekites. They came out of the descendants of, of Esau. They are also, the Amalekites are also, um, uh, uh, this may not jump right out at you, but you remember the battle we covered a little while ago with Moses when he had to have his hands in the air and Aaron and Hur helped hold up those hands with the rod, holding the rod up over the air? That was against the Amalekites. And do you know that two times in the Word of God, two times in the Word of God, God said, he commanded Israel, wipe them out. It was uh, once in the book of Numbers, and I believe the other time was in the book of Deuteronomy. He told them, wipe them out. If I am remembering correctly, I believe it was Exodus 24 and Deuteronomy 25. Um, or Numbers, might be, no, I'm sorry, Numbers 24 and Deuteronomy 25. God commanded them, wipe them out. And so when David is out there raiding the Amalekite villages, he is actually fulfilling the word of God. And going out there and, and, uh, and taking them out. Because they were still over the southern area of Israel. So, on the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn, dust on his head. In other words, he's, he's given the appearance that he was mourning. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said, where have you come from? So he said, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, how did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, the people have fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? Then the young man who told him said, as I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? So I answered him, I am an Amalekite. A who? Keep that in mind. He's an Amalekite. He said to me again, Please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and I brought them here to my Lord. So this is a, this is the Amalekites. David had returned from slaughtering who? Now it wasn't too long ago we looked over this, this story. You may remember when David went after the Amalekites who had raided Ziglag, did he get them all? He did not. How many escaped? 400 escaped out of the Amalekites. The Amalekites inhabit the southern area of Israel. Where are we at? We're in the northern area of Israel. This is not the territory of the Amalekites. Why is there an Amalekite on Mount Gilboa? Now think about this. If you've got a big battle, uh, think of some big battles that have happened. In, uh, in When they used to teach history, they used to teach people battles that happened. The Battle of Berlin. How many remember that one? 
Um, uh, the Battle of Gettysburg. Anybody remember that one? Yeah, remember. <laughs> we have uh, the, the Battle of Baltimore. We can think of these different battles that were there. If you were going to, uh, let's just think of one that's just on a battlefield. How many remember Waterloo? We weren't involved in that one, but uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Battle of Waterloo really helped free the United States from Britain. Very helpful in, in free the United States from Britain. If it was not for the fact that the Britons, the Brits were divided between fighting the French and fighting the Americans during the War of 1812, they probably would have demolished us, except, of course, God was on our side, so he would have found another way. But he divided the, the nations. They were fighting some on the French, some over here with us. And because of the battle, because of the... Um, who was the short guy? I forgot. Napoleon. <laughs> because of him make, making all this fuss, we didn't have to face the entire British Navy. We didn't have to face the entire British force. So that actually helped us. But if you had the Battle of Waterloo going on, you see all these forces. You had the Battle of Gettysburg going on. All these forces are mounting at this, this scene. If you are not one of the soldiers in the battle, where are you? Gone, right? Why in the world are you on a battlefield if you are not in the battle? But he's an Amalekite. Who's the battle with? The battle is Philistines. They don't have Amalekites. And Israel. So either this this Amalekite hooked, hitched himself up to the Israelites to be um, to be fighting on their, their part. Or, here's a possibility. How many people escaped? 400. If you're David and you stumble upon an Amalekite after you just had a battle with them two, three days ago, what's your thought? Maybe this is one of the ones who got away and he went all the way up there into the battle, found this stuff with Saul and he's trying to get back in David's good graces. Don't know that this was who he was, but anyway, he was an Amalekite. He came in and he gave a different rendition than we had at the end of Samuel. Now, people have spent all kinds of time trying to bring these two things together. You don't have to bring these two things together. I think the rendition we have in 1 Samuel chapter 31 is what happened. Now, if you pull out some of the people like uh, uh, Matthew Henry, uh, they're trying to mesh the stories. I don't think we have to mesh the stories. I think the guy just saw an opportunity and decided to take advantage of it. He saw that Saul was dead. He got there before the Philistines did because the Philistines didn't get there the next day. He saw the crown. I can show some, some evidence that Saul was, that I was here with Saul. And so he said, I know David wants to be king and David's not king and this guy's been hunting him. I'm going to bring these back and I'm going to claim that I killed Saul. Not reluctantly. He made it sound very reluctant to have to do this because David's, uh, Exploits of letting Saul go, probably well known. So, he gives this story, and he says, well, uh, he didn't, he wasn't able to fall on the sword. Now some people want to say that Saul wasn't, he had no strength left. He's dying. But he wants to die sooner. And he just didn't have the strength left to push the sword through his body. That's why he was asking for help. And that's why he, he asked this guy. Uh, but I think if you're going to just fall on the sword, probably you're okay with with getting that, you get the armor out of the way, you fall on that sword, it's, uh, it does pretty well. So, 
So he goes through all these formalities that he actually had Saul's permission. Saul asked him, I did a favor for Saul. I'm not trying to, um, I wasn't out there trying to kill Saul or come after him. So, but, but basically some guy tells a story. Have we ever had it in our country? Maybe in, in your lifetime? Have you ever heard there, there was a story that happened? There was something that happened? And then some guy comes over and has a different version. You ever been around that? Some guy, somewhere, comes over and has a different version. Well, it actually happened this way. I was there. And he tells something a little bit different. And generally, when people want to alter the story or change the story, it's for some kind of selfish purposes. Something that they want to gain for themselves. Something that they want to do. There's some selfish purposes that they, that they put in there. But this guy, he's got evidence. Just because people have evidence about their story doesn't make their evidence necessarily true. The evidence that he brings back does not prove his story at all. Just because he has the king's crown doesn't mean that Saul asked him to kill him. Just because he has the king's crown doesn't mean that he pushed the sword through him. All it means is he has the king's crown. So this account probably comes out before the other account does. But we have the other account in the Word of God, so I give that one more more credence. So just because somebody has evidence about their story, you still got to check it out. Of course, if it doesn't matter to you, just let it go. But people use selfish or arterial motives to justify the changes in a factual account. They may know what the facts are, but they may change them because of some selfish or some ulterior motive that they have. Just understand there's people out there that will have this. Now David does not waste any time to investigate this story to find out if it's true. Because he realizes there's really no purpose for me doing that. And so we go on here with the story. And um, I already told you about the Amalekites. Let's get over here to verse 11. Therefore David took hold of his own clothes and tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. This is the first David is hearing that Saul and his sons have died. That's happened, but he hasn't heard about it up until now. The Philistines heard about it maybe a day or two ago. David is just hearing about it now. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite. So David said to him, How was it you are not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? How was it that you were not afraid to do this? How was it that... He's not even checking out. Did he really do it? Because he doesn't care if he really did it. The guy admitted it. The guy has laid claim to killing Saul. Therefore, we're going to judge you on your words. Remember Jesus in the parable he told? When the uh, talents were given out and the third one came up, he buried it. I knew you were a man who uh, reaped where you didn't sow, all that sort of stuff. And the words out of Jesus' mouth were, I will judge you by your words. David is, is doing the same thing. He's judging them by your words. Well, this is what you said, so let's just judge you by that. How were you not afraid to kill the Lord's anointing? How were you not afraid to do that? Now, look at it this way. If this man 
brought all this stuff, the crown, all that, to David. He knows there was conflict between Saul and David. He might be an Amalekite, but he knows this conflict was going on. If he knows this conflict was going on, he knows David might be happy to hear that his enemy is dead. And if he's happy when he hears this, he may reward me. I may get land. I may get money. I'm, he's expecting a reward. And David, uh, we don't know if it's right after he hears this or after they do the period of mourning. But he says to the young man who told him, How was it you were not afraid to put your hand to destroy the Lord's anointing? I think that phrase ought to go in everybody's refrigerator. I think you ought to write this thing down and put it up in your refrigerator. Because there's a lot of things that Christians are doing that we have to wonder, how are you not afraid to do that? How is it that there is no fear that comes up on you to go out there and to speak evil of other Christians? How is it that that doesn't come up and you don't have any fear about that? How is it that you have no fear of gossip? How is it that you have no fear to hate on your brother? How is it you have no fear to come against those that God has anointed? And the list can keep on going. We can just keep tacking on other things. How do we have no fear about doing that? Now you think about this. You all know that the Word of God has exhorted you to operate and to, to, uh, to do certain things to perform His Word. And there are times that you have just gone by the wayside. Just did something different. And, and you have to wonder, how were you not afraid? How, the, 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 the Pharisees, how are they not afraid to plot against the Son of God? How are they not afraid? But they're not. How is Judas not afraid to betray the Son of God, the Messiah? How is he not afraid? How is it that he got to a place where he said, I can do this? How is Peter not afraid to rebuke Jesus on his teaching? How does that happen? How, do, how does Peter get so bold to go up to, to Jesus and say, hey, you ought not to teach this way. You ought to clear it before me before you start teaching like this and I'll let you know whether it's okay or not. How are you not afraid to do that? On the Mount of Transfiguration, we just read that if you're reading our chapters today. We just read the Mount of Transfiguration. How is Peter not afraid to speak? I mean, you got God showing up, you got Elijah, you got Moses. People are trans, transformed. They're, they're white as, they can, I'm just pure white, just light all over. How are you not afraid to open your mouth? There's things that we do as Christians that God is looking up there and says, how is it that there is no fear in you to step out and to do this? How is that? You see, the more that you walk in the, in the ways of honor, the more you understand what you shouldn't do, what goes against the character of God. You said, no, 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 I, I won't do that. You see, David understood God. And when he had the opportunity to kill Saul, he was afraid. Oh, no, I, I'm not going to take his life. That's for God to do. God put him in that position. And God will take him out. And God did. God took him out right here. 
had that arrow go up in the air and come down and got him. How are you, was it you are not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? we got to be careful because the enemy, he tries to get us emboldened to do things we shouldn't do. How were you not afraid to eat from the forbidden tree? I mean, don't you want to ask Adam and Eve that when you get up to heaven? How were you not afraid to eat of the tree? You know God's going to see it. You know you're not getting away with it. How did you even think that you could do it? How is Satan not afraid to rebel against God? How is that possible? How, how are people... You see this in the Old Testament and all through history. How are people not afraid to stand up and say, Thus says the Lord, and they haven't heard. How are they not afraid? Because they don't walk in the life of honor. They can't even tell there's anything wrong with that. You may look at some people and you may wonder, How do you live your life this way? You see, they don't walk in the honor at the level that you're walking. I'm not saying you have to be at the highest level. You can just, whatever level you're on. And I have no idea how many levels there are. More levels than we will get to in our lifetime. Because God walks in a level of honor that is really high. Glory to God, one step at a time. One level at a time. I keep moving, moving forward. But there's people out there that walk at a much lower level and they cannot even see what you see. They cannot even comprehend that there's a reason why that they shouldn't do it. But you can see it. Then David called one of the young men. They're always calling the young men. I wonder why that is. I mean, the old men have killed more people. They're more experienced at it. Why not pull, pull them in? Nope, we're always calling the young men. David called one of the young men and said, Go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, Your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Now there is no ill will for David towards Saul. He mourned for him. In fact, uh, the latter part of this chapter we're not going to get into. He, he wrote a whole song in remorse for the guy. In mourning for the for the one who fell. He was very sad that this had gone on. Most of us, if we had someone who tried two times to kill us and chased us all around the countryside and he dies, we're saying, all right. We're, we have a little bit of joy going on. Uh, David was sad. That's a level of honor that some of us just haven't uh, quite achieved yet. So by his own testimony that he killed the Lord's anointed, he is sentenced. You don't need witnesses. Most things in the Word of God are supposed to be confirmed by two or three witnesses. We don't need that if the guy says, I did it. I don't need a witness that says, I saw him do it. We don't need that. He got up and said, I did it. Okay, well, you did it. We'll just execute judgment now. And David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son. And he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jashur. 
So David portrays a, a picture of Saul. And through all this, David does not view Saul as his enemy. I don't know that I would get to that spot. Uh, how many of you have people in your life that you would consider your enemy? All right. Appreciate both of you <laughs> joining me there. Yeah, we got people that we consider the, these are enemies. These are people that are against us. These are people when they come into our presence, our countenance changes. Oh, what are you doing here? I don't, I don't want to be around you. Why are you here? You're trying to do something. I know it. You're not here for any good reason. You know, a whole countenance, everything about us just changes. We, we see them as the enemy. And uh, you don't have to raise your hand on this one. But how many of you, they're family? Yep. No worse enemy than family. <laughs> when they, when they turn against you, oh man, it just seems to be. Cause you just can't, you can't get away from them. They're family. They're always around. Somehow you're gonna, you're gonna see them again. And you have a family reunion. You know, we don't have family reunions in my family because, uh, uh, both of us are, are kind of busy. No, we, our family's a little bit bigger than that, but <laughs> we, don't, we don't have that many people. My wife, she gets her family reunion together. I mean, they gotta rent hotels. Multiple hotels, get them all in out there. You know, the, my family would get on out there. We would do that. How, how many rooms do you need? Oh, probably two. Yeah, I think two will do it. We just don't have that many, many around there. But some people that have family reunions. Hey, I hear about some of you folks. You're going out there. You have these reunions. And all the 30, 40, 50. That's just the people who show up. 30, 40, 50 people. And out of that, I'll bet you out of the 30, 40 people, people who have really big family reunions, and they all come together. I'll bet you that there are some people. Oh, I hope they don't come. Anybody ever felt that? I hope they don't come. Yeah, well, they may not be on the enemy list, but they're close. And you can kind of get that feeling. There's things that they have done. There's things they have said. There's things that have gone on. And you, you feel enemy status there with them. But I'll bet you none of them have tried to kill you twice. I bet you none of them have gathered 3,000 choice men out of the army and chased you around the country. And yet David had this go on. Saul tries two times to kill him and chases him around the countryside with 3,000 men on two different occasions. And David spared his life twice. Could have killed him. Spared his life. We can ask ourselves this question and we ought to be, how was it that I was not afraid to disobey what God said? How was I not afraid to speak against this? How was I not afraid not to walk in love here? How was I not afraid not to forgive this person? This man could only see reward because of the level of honor he walked in. He probably walked in more dishonor than he walked in honor. All he could see is well, people will reward you for doing this this kind of thing. And so they, his whole eyes, he's looking for the reward. The whole way he's coming back from the battlefield. He's got the crown. That crown's probably worth some money. He's got the, we call it a bracelet. That's probably worth some money too. He's got them in his hand. He's not trying to cash them in. He's trying to bring them to David because he's thinking there's a bigger reward on David's side. I want to get that reward. 
He never expected the harsh response that he got. How often men see God rewarding and punishing according to what they understand as good and what they understand as bad. But when our level of honor is well below God's, we can't really see correctly. My level of honor is way way below God's. Uh, I'm down here. God's up over here. And when God dishes out a reward, when God heals this person, when God blesses this person, I want to think, I wouldn't have done that if I was God. We want to say to God, what did you do? Who did you heal? Why did you save that one? Did you see all the evil things they have done? And we want to say this of God. But see, we don't walk on that level where God is. We can't tell God. You shouldn't shouldn't have done that. People rose up against Moses and it should have caused fear, shouldn't it? When they rose up against Moses, they should have been afraid. You're dealing with a guy who talks face to face with God and you're going to start speaking against him? Mm. Moses would come out in the morning, two to four million people lined up outside of his tent ready to kill him. And he's just calm. What's up? (laughs) He knows. Don't mess with this. People came up to Elijah. Come down here. And what's Elijah say? If I'm a man of God, may fire come down and burn you up. Fire came down and burned them all up. Another group gets sent. Man of God, come down here. If I am a man of God, may fire come down and burn you up. They came with arrogance. Third group gets there. Please don't burn me up. I don't want to get burned up. But they sent me to come get you. Would you please come with us? Oh, since you asked nicely, okay. And so then he goes. But how would you not be afraid? People came up to Elisha. They sent an entire army out to the city where Elisha was. How can you not be afraid to come against Elisha, who's telling the king the very plans you're making, as they said it, in your bedchamber? And he foiled all their plans. How are you not afraid? But they, they weren't. They sent a whole army there and neither lost it. How are you not afraid to plot against Jesus? How are you not afraid to plot against Paul? How many others can you put in this list? How are you not afraid? How is it that the people in Babylon were not afraid to rise up against Daniel? How were they not afraid to set up a golden image and demand people work, uh, worship it? How are they not afraid? But just understand, people are not walking in the amount of fear that they should. They're fearing the wrong things. They're fearing the wrong things. When you look at at the uh, golden image that was set up, there are many Israelites who are taken captive who are bowing the knee at that golden image because they are more afraid of the king of Babylon and the punishment that he would dole out than they are of God. Why did Pharaoh not yield to the plagues 
because he was not yet afraid. He was not yet, did not have that respect. And he surely did not walk in honor. He would say something and go against it. What is it that we are doing in our life that we shouldn't be and we ought to be afraid? What kind of evil do we speak against other people? What kind of unforgiveness do we have? Now don't think that you can't hate at all. Because I'll tell you what, God hates stuff. If God hates stuff, I can, I can follow after God. God hates, remember the word of God? Six things I hate. Seven things that he despises or some kind of a way he puts it like that. There's some things he comes against. I don't like the lying tongue. I don't, he lists them all out there. He hates them. He may hate the thing that they're doing, but he doesn't hate the people when they come and they repent. When we move to a higher walk of honor, we will see things differently. Our motivation to change how we act, speak, think, it will intensify. But you see, as we told you way back earlier in this, you are either walking towards more honor or you're walking away from it. You are either pursuing honor or you are pursuing dishonor. You're not doing, you're not just sitting neutral. If you are not pursuing honor, you will be pursuing dishonor. Doesn't matter if you realize it, doesn't matter if you think you are or not. If you are not consciously going after the things of honor, dishonor will overtake you. People will think that the dishonor they walk in is honor. In the same way that I can think that light that is darkness is light, I can think that dishonor is honor. Devil is good at masking this sort of thing. Don't let him do it with you though. Stay, stay away from that. The higher we go, the less we need others to hold us back. The less we need others to encourage us to continue on. The motivation is within us. You ever see those, uh, those TV shows, movies? You know, the guy gets mad at somebody. Hold me back. Hold me back. I mean it. Hold me back. <laughs> I want you to hold him back. So, and then once they get a good hold of him, then he's, he's trying to get out there. And they, but hold me back. I don't really want to go out there and do that. Other times you'll see they really want to and they, they get in there and they're, they're trying to hold them back and, and keep them back in there because they can't control it themselves. You should not need someone to hold you back. The honor that you walk in should say, God is not in me doing this. I'm not doing it. I'm not going after it because of that honor that is in you. The more honor you walk in, the higher the levels of honor you get, the closer you get to God in this, the less you are going to need other people to keep you from pursuing the things of God or pursuing the things that are wrong. You would just keep pursuing the things of God. You don't even need people to come in there and fire you up and say, hey, get on out there. Get on out there and do it. Some of you folks like to eat. How many people like to eat healthy? How many people? Oh, a couple of you. All right. I like to eat healthy. How many of you need to be motivated? Anybody need to be motivated to eat healthy? Just, man, because it's hard work. It, it takes. It's harder to buy the stuff. It's harder to cook the stuff. It is easier to eat unhealthy. Just pull up to McDonald's, lay it on me. Right? <laughs> that's that's easier. But it takes some effort, and sometimes it might take some motivation. 
on your part to uh, to get out there and do it. But the more you get sold on, boy, this is helping me out. Oh, I feel so much better eating this way. See, that motivation comes from within you. And I, I don't need anybody to tell me, I want to. I want to do this. That's where we have to get with God. And you get to this level of, you start walking in higher levels of honor. No one needs to motivate you to get you to do the things you're supposed to do. That you know you're supposed to do. The things that are supposed to be helping you in your Christian walk. You will see that the higher you level, higher level you go to in honor, your commitment level will increase. You will be more committed and much harder to deter. Your patience will increase. And there's a reason for that. The reason that your patience will increase as you walk in more honor is because your understanding of why others don't do what I know to be right has grown. You see, if you can understand why they do the things they're doing, you can have more patience with them. I'll give it to you this way. How many times do you see somebody do something nuts, especially in the car? You're out there driving in the car, you're going along, and you see that person on the side of the road. They're going to pull out in front of me. You ever been there? I know it. They're going to pull out in front of me. I can just sense it. They are going to... So you're ready for it. You are prepared for them. You know, it's stupid to pull out in front of me right now, but I know they're going to do it. I just know it. And then they do it. What do you say? Come on. You know what you say. Why did they do that? Why do they pull out so close? Don't they know the measures I have to go to to not hit them, to not hurt them? Why do they pull out and then, of course, they... Whenever they pull out in front of you, what do they do? What is the universal thing that people who pull out of you do? They go slow. You all know this. How is it that people can do such stupid things as to wait five seconds longer than they should have to pull out in front of you and then go slow? If you are in such a hurry, flirt! Now, there are times... That I have been at an intersection, and you're right in front of my house. You had to make a left-hand turn on the Doylestown Road. It sometimes is busy, and there's sometimes cars, cars, cars coming this way. And guess what happens when the cars start coming this way? Guess what happens when they stop? They come this way, and so now they're coming this way. You're waiting for them to stop over here, and then they're going over here again. And after a while, you know, you sit there for a few minutes, you get you get antsy. Anybody get antsy? You get a little antsy. You get you figure the person behind me doesn't see what I'm seeing. And they're, they're going to start beeping at me. Get going. Come on. Move. Let's go. And so when I, when I get in a situation like that, I, I think, my, I know I have a truck. But I, I got an engine in my truck. I don't know what you got in yours. I have an engine in my truck. My truck has a big engine. It eats gasoline. But it's got a, it's got a big engine. It's, uh, I, don't know, I don't think it's the biggest engine it could be put in there. I think it's the second biggest engine. That you can have in there. So it's not as gas guzzling as it could be. Because I got a whole whopping 14 miles to the gallon. I do. And so when I see this thing going on. I know what I have under my hood. And I know the tires that I have. And I know what it can do. And so I see that person coming. I take it as a personal challenge. (laughs) To when I pull out in front of that situation. And that person coming on. I make it a personal challenge to gun that engine 
and to hit that thing so fast before that guy can even see or get close to my tail bumper, I am out way in front of him. I just make it a personal challenge to do that. Now, you waste gas doing that. I don't care. <laughs> if you're going to drive a vehicle that gets 14 miles on a gallon, you <laughs> gas economy is not your concern. My, my uh, running buddy, John, he just got a truck. And he's telling me about it. He says, oh, yeah, I only got 14 miles a gallon. I said, welcome to the club. <laughs> I said, if you are going to buy a truck, gas mileage is not your is not your focus. Hauling stuff is. And so you just have to... Uh, I, I told him, I said, I, I've had this for over 20 years now. I don't even know what it's like to have a little tiny card that you pull up to and you get $20 for the gas. I don't put $20 for the gas in my thing. I filled it up the other day. It was 100 bucks. $100 to fill it up. If I have a bigger... I have a bigger gas tank. I got a bigger gas tank than his too. He says, I can't put that much in mine. I said, yeah, you got a little tiny one. He's got a smaller truck. It's going to be like a five and a half foot bed. It's just small. My truck's bigger. <laughs> your truck's even bigger. Your truck's got a good one. That's, I should say your truck. <laughs> yeah, but you see, I'll, I'll hit that. I'll floor that because they're not going to be complaining. That they're, they're sneaking up on me that I pulled out on them went slow. But this is what we say. Why did you pull out? Why did you go so slow? If I could understand why, they'd, wouldn't you be more, more uh, concerned about it? If they have a, a passenger in there that if they pulled out real fast, they'd, uh, they'd hurt them? If you knew that, then you wouldn't be so mad at them. You won't be saying all this. We need to know why. The more honor you walk in, the closer you get to the levels that God walks in, the more you understand why people do the stupid things that they do. And your patience level will increase. If you wonder why God is so patient with us, it's because of the honor that he walks in. All right. I understand why you did that stupid thing. I do. I understand it. I wish you were on a different level and you could understand this differently, but I understand why you're doing this. That's why he's so patient with us. The reason that we lose patience is because I don't have the understanding of why someone is doing what they're doing. Why your kids made the decision that they made. Why they went in the direction that they, they went. Why they got into that fight. Why they had that battle. Why they didn't do their chores. If you had the understanding of it, it'd be a whole lot better, wouldn't it? Brings you back to those Hallmark movies. How many times in the Hallmark movie, you're watching the Hallmark movie, and the girl or the guy gets mad at the other person? And it's always, they didn't know why. They just saw what they did. They just heard what they said. But they didn't know why. How many of you ever been there watching the Hallmark movie? And you say, ah, just ask him. Just ask him. He will tell you why he did it. And you won't be mad. But they never ask. Never ask. They go on and they make their assumption about it. They figure out why and they, they lose patience and they, I'm not calling you back. I'm not, do, whatever it is. When you walk in a higher level of honor, you will have more patience with those around you. Not because you prayed for it. Not because you went through so many hard times. You understand it because this level of honor that you're walking in. I understand why they did it. That will help me out. The higher I go in the walk of honor, the less focused I am of others' shortcomings as I know they can't see them. 
but the more I am resolved to overcome what I see in me. This is huge. You can get to one of these higher levels of honor and walk in it. The more that you walk in those levels of honor, the less focused you will be of other people's shortcomings. I'm not focused on them. Think of somebody in your life. Somebody, a family member, somebody important to you. How many of you, the shortcomings come right, right there. There's a drop down list. Zip. Yeah. The more honor we walk in, the less that comes up. See, I know they can't see them. And so, I pray for them with patience. Why did Paul pray for the church as much as he did? Have the patience for them that he did? Because he was not as focused on their shortcomings. He saw them. He, he, he would pray for them and help them in that. But I'm resolved to overcome what I see in me. Now, these I put these in your outline. I wanted to make sure that you get them. And after I put them in your outline, I changed it. And then I didn't change it in mine. So I, I put them back and I saw that so I can make sure that I, I, I fill it out for you right. Here it is. The lower the honor that we walk in, the lower the honor that we walk in, the more compelled we are to tell people how to live. You want to find out where you are in honor? The lower the level of honor you walk in, the more compelled you are to tell people how to live. Now, surely you're not in this category. Other people are, right? How many of you know people that are compelled to tell you how to live? Always got to be telling you how to live. Always got to be telling you what you're doing isn't right. If you're single, you should be married. If you're married, you married the wrong one. If you have two kids, you should have had four. If you have four kids, you should have had three. They're always, they just, they're, no matter what it is you do, they are compelled to tell you. If you went out and bought the spaghetti sauce and they saw what you brought home, you bought the wrong one. You should have bought this one. This one has far more, whatever it might be. You have people in your life that are that way? They are just compelled. They just have to keep telling you all the things you did that are wrong. Telling you how it is that you ought to live. It's because of the level of honor that they walk in. They walk in a low level of honor. That's why they do this. The higher the level, the more content we are to show people how to live. People who walk in higher levels of honor are content to show people how to live. They don't have to sit around there and keep telling them. They just, they live that way. They live in that in that, in that myth, that's, that's, that's the area that they walk in. Jesus would teach people how to live, but, but he showed people how to live. He showed them what to do. Paul went around, he showed people how to live. And you're content with that. You see, people of lower level, level of honor, they're never content. They're compelled. I've always got to be telling you, what you ought to be doing. How you ought to be doing it. Always messing with your life. But there's people in your life that are just content. They're just happy with what they have, happy where they are. And you just watch them to see how they live. I want to learn how they live. I want to see that contentment come into my life. 
and you watch. You see, this is what the higher level of honor is that will do for you. If you pursue it, if you go after it, if you do like David did, and you go after that kind of honor, you will find contentment like you never had. You will find patience like you only dreamed that you could have. These are things that await you. But as long as you pursue the things of dishonor, they will elude you every way, every which way. And the enemy knows this. And so he keeps trying to pull people into dishonor. He keeps trying to get people to talk evil of others. He keeps trying to get them to think worse of others. He keeps trying to get them into places of being arrogant and proud. He gets them into places where they won't repent. They won't change what it is that they're doing. Nope, this is the way I'm going. I know this is right. And they become arrogant. But if you can forsake those things and go after what God has for you, these things that you desire in your life, they'll start to show up. You'll see and you'll see the patience come in your life. Because right now, for most people who are Christians, patience is a battle. Patience is just a battle of trying to keep your flesh under. Maybe you have said something like this. Well, I'm not going to say what I'm thinking. You ever said that? I'm not going to say what I'm thinking. Maybe you said it to yourself. Maybe you said it to somebody. Maybe you went over to somebody. Do you see that? Yeah, but I didn't say what I was thinking. Why? You see, patience is a battle for you. It's a battle because you got something on the inside is bursting trying to get out. But you see, when you follow after the life of honor, patience is a whole other animal. Patience is who you are. I don't, I'm not compelled to tell you how to live. I am perfectly content to just show you. And you see people that are making mistakes. You see people that are going the wrong way. You don't get aggravated at them. You begin to pray for them because you say, God, I, I used to be there. That's how I used to see things. But you've opened up my eyes. And I can see better. And I know there's more that you can open my eyes to. Because I'm, I'm nowhere near there yet. There's more you can open my eyes to. You can see this in your own life. Whether you are a parent or not, we were all kids. Can you think of a time when you were a child and something went on and an adult, a parent, saw what you did and came to judgment and spoke some things to you? But that's not what happened. And you want to rise up and defend yourself. No, that's not what happened. And they cut you off. And how does it make you feel? And yet we sometimes will do that to people that we see in the body of Christ. We don't listen to what's going on. I don't need to hear what your excuses are. But how many times can we think back that we saw a situation, the snap judgment rose up inside of us, but we sat down and said, tell me what's going on. Tell me what is happening here. And you sit down and you listen. 
And after you hear what's going on, you begin to say, Thank you, Lord Jesus, that I did not speak on what I knew. Because I did not know this was going on. And you're able to speak other words. And you're able to bring harmony and peace in the situation. Whereas before you would have brought strife, anger. This life of honor is not something we pursue for a little while. It's something that we live and we go after all the time. This is what David did. This is why David is such a great guy to study for this. Because he started out at one level of honor and he just keeps moving higher. God put some tests out there for him and he passed them. And he just keeps moving higher. He had some bumps along the way. But he keeps moving up. He repents and he gets back. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you that the things that we see as being difficult, things that have been hard for us in the past, can be made so much easier when we rise to a greater level of honor in our walk, in our life our view will change. We'll see things from other people's perspective. We'll understand things better from how you see it. And we will understand how it is that we should handle the situation and what it is that we should do. We will operate in so much more patience, so much more contentment, so much more honor. Help us, Father, as we continue to pursue this life. Help us to see that next level that is above us so that we can learn about it. I can begin to operate in that level. I can learn things about my God I didn't know before because I couldn't experience this level of honor. When I get to the next level, I begin to look for more. There's always more that's out there. And each new level brings a new perspective, a new understanding of Scripture, greater level of responsibility, accountability, but a greater level of rewards, trust from our God. Thank you. I give you the praise and the glory for it. We thank you that you are growing us up. I thank you that you are patient with us and that we can understand that patience and have it for others. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Glory to God. So good to see you all here. Thanks for coming on out and making this part of your day. Some of the bulletin announcements that are in there. Don't forget our church picnic is coming up. sure want you to be a part of it. There was... Um, one thing I didn't uh, get to put in there, and, and you, you may notice that Debbie in the, the back there is not there again this week. Last week she was traveling, but this week she had um, um, she just recently had a had a divorce, but her ex-husband uh, suddenly passed away. Uh, I know him, haven't seen him for years, but I do, I do know him. He had a hard time breathing one night, and they uh, uh, tried to get him to the hospital. They were trying to incubate him, and in the process of that, his heart stopped. And he died. So she sent me a text, to, very, very sudden. Um, that I think it was the text that was on on Sunday. I called her Monday morning, 
to uh, get the rest of the scoop was going on. So she was expecting to be heading out there. She probably is out there this, this weekend for the funeral. The thing's going on. So we'll probably see her back in here next week. But her, her, um, her husband passed away. You know, when you have a divorce situation, it's not like it's um, the same kind of grieving that goes on. But, you know, the, the three children that she has are, are very moved by that. And you as a parent can very moved by those, those situations. So just want to let you know that that was, that was going on. Have a great rest of your week. Bless some people in here before you go.